I never thought I would enjoy quite so much you being so big and tall. This this is a story of my life and that I think you're just now appreciating this. I'm not even sure appreciation is the right word. I have you derived real enjoyment. I have appreciated so much everything in Southeast Asia <laughs> being designed for people half your size. 36 hours of travel. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm big in Vietnam. Look, I, I can't speak Vietnamese nor Cantonese, but I have a feeling that when people were referring to you, they used the phrase two seats. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> old, old two seats called Austin the Giant. I think we've, uh, we've, we've dubbed it. I'm Scott Wayne. And I'm Austin the Giant. And this is Envoy Recorded Radio. Okay, so we kicked off our brand new podcast last week in the Spring Hill Suites in South Carolina, and this week we're at the Mondrian <laughs> on Duxton Hill in Singapore with the sound of Formula One racing going on in the background. Let nobody say we do not have a wide spectrum of locations for this new radio show. I thought you were going to say, let nobody say we don't sound insufferable. <laughs> well, that, that yeah. also. also. Which that. brings us to involuntary sponsor of the week. Uh, we have two sponsors this Ooh, week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, maybe I'll, I'll run with the first, you run with the second. The, the first is a core hotel group headquartered in Paris. They are not a client, uh, but we are friends with many of their, their leadership team. And can we just say we stayed at uh, Hotel Desart in uh, Ho Chi Minh City, and it was just delightful. It was a beautiful hotel. It was gorgeous. I think they kept the rooftop pool open longer for you or something <laughs> ridiculous. They did go um, find beers And we're first, now yeah. at your property in Singapore and Montreal, and I thought we got upgraded to the room, and it was... Uh, <laughs> We were, we were very confused. Delightful front desk staff. And they arrived and they said, we have upgraded you to our largest room on whatever. And I said, why? we don't, we don't, we don't have a status with you all, but why did you upgrade us? <laughs> and she very diplomatically said, our emphasis on very diplomatically was, it's the Singapore Grand Prix. Like, we're just full. So we're having to put peasants like you into our best rooms. She didn't say it that way. I want to be clear. But we appreciate it, and it was very funny. We, we and understood. Then finally, the Mondrian Hotel, yeah, Biacor in Singapore, has the bounciest slippers. I don't, I'm wearing slippers because my feet are aching for us pounding the streets. Uh, they're so bouncy, but you don't get to experience that because you think you're living in Lilliput right now. Because I'm too big. It's the, my feet <laughs> don't fit. Um, I, I referred to myself as slutty yesterday uh, in my robe. <laughs> that, that also was Were too short too and did not close all the way. <laughs> and uh, one ought not. I mean, it's I just <laughs> hard to express how much I'm enjoying. You, you know, look, I hit my you're head. You're just looking physically awkward in every space we've been in. I hit my head getting onto the bus today. <laughs> Just for the first and only thing I did before my knees were jammed into the seat in front of me. And then the man on the flight. Um, you know, let's go to the second involuntary sponsor, yep. which is Vietnam Airlines. Uh, we flew Vietnam uh, from London into Ho Chi Minh City uh, and then from uh, Ho Chi Minh City to Singapore. And oh, 
it, one, it, I mean, it got us there. It was great. It was they great. Were, they, they were, were they were generally good. Sky they, Team the Alliance. Crew were great. Uh, it, it was it was awesome. But uh, our our flight attendant was hilarious. Uh, culturally, uh, she and I we we had some communication barriers, uh, so we were we were kind of fumbling through a couple pieces of communication. But uh, I thought she it was did not speak hipster American. That's is that, she did is not that, speak that we're going to go? Yeah. Okay, great. Right. I am fluent. Uh, but she was adamant about eating our meals. <laughs> <laughs> it was like my mean aunt came on a flight with me, but she also like brought me nice things. It was bizarre. So I was asleep, and she woke me up at... Uh, well, no, as we were getting on the flight, both of us had our laptops open. Uh, the flight took off. We were you know, working, and she came around with our food and made us close our laptops. You <laughs> must eat. You must And eat. you cannot work while you eat. Yeah. You will. That is just too American. You will you will have a meal. Like there was no there was no consideration that I might be in the middle of something and her bringing my food might be an inconvenience. Well, but I think this I think this is interesting because it's partly the American mindset, right? Which is you are always the customer. Yeah. And on a flight and it's interesting it is. that um, US airlines her. US airlines often rephrase refer to customers and yeah. every other airline ar around the world refers to passengers mm. you're a traveler on this vessel and our job is to get you there safely uh you are not you're not actually in charge of this plane but yeah, yeah like right. it's it not was the orientation yeah one final thing i oh, sorry go ahead. No, no 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 i was just gonna say i love i actually love vietnam's airlines humility which is today they said we are proud to say that we are now ranked one of the top 20 airlines in the world are there more and than there 20 just, airlines there was in the just world? something that was credit to you <laughs> like, just keep going and then lastly the guy on the bike in the airport this morning was just fantastic it like, was it, he was describe it he, it, it was beautiful i don't know why there's not more of this i legitimately enjoyed it so we're we're driving across the tarmac um uh, taxiing no we're on a bus we were driving um and uh, out of nowhere this this guy on this like vintage early 60s schwinn comes flying past <laughs> the, the bus pedal like zero motorization the like, to, on the tarmac yeah. on a bike pedal power just legs and grit flies past this bus beats us to the point that yep. we're going to and is just kind of waiting when we and, uh, the only yeah. thing that would have made that better would be if he pegged it to the plane <laughs> and was waiting as you got off the bus and said vera said to give you this <laughs> anyway uh, yeah that uh, so let's move on to the zeitgeist We've got a few things to cover this week, uh, but but yeah. one of them is an observation. We talk about modern masculinity often. Yeah. Um, one of the things that was noticeable. So we spent basically a day in a day in Vienna, and we had to do some filming in in Ho Chi Minh. Twenty whole Ho hours. Yeah. Uh, we knocked out the filming, but just observationally, one of the things that I found interesting is that v Vietnamese men don't posture. And I was reminded of that because we just walked past a bunch of Australians and Brits and a few Americans, but mainly Australians and Brits, expats mm -hmm. here in Singapore. And they're all like, they're all just doing that posturing thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, Vietnamese men just seemed really chill. They just seemed not doing that physical thing. Yeah. I, I, why do we do that? Why do we peacock and... Take space. That Strut and take space. Yeah, and, space. Um, I don't know. A I'm guy sure there's a theory. The, the guy in front of us today in the seat leans back his seat 
and you held it <laughs> so it wouldn't go all the way back. <laughs> you took your space, so great. I, I've never seen a woman do that. And I was just, I just, it was an interesting observation. Like, why do we do that? That it's literally the shoulder puff. And then we were at the Formula One racing today, and it's all these Formula One fans, and they're in their race shirts, and there was a, just a lot of. I mean, I, I, and there was a lot of Singaporeans, there was a lot of Indians, there was a lot of shoulder puffing, but I just didn't see it in Vietnamese men. In answer to the why do we puff, it's uh, probably on the long end of evolution and uh, showing that one can be dominant and therefore provide for a spouse or a mate, right? Like that's where it started. Um, I don't know why we still do that, other than it might be ingrained, and some of that's cultural. You see the kind of machado that, is that how you say it, machado? Machismo. Machismo? I don't know. I think machado is a brand of watch. It's like a high-end premium. McAdoo. (laughs) Whatever. Um, Yeah, machismo, that that you see through kind of Latin America and, and Spain to some extent. But why why do we still do it and why don't maybe Vietnamese men do it or why didn't we observe that when we saw people across spectrum of society um, in our whole 20 hours I mean just observationally I didn't see that I don't know why it doesn't exist so you're doing this whole series on uh, cultural translation and awareness right yeah yeah in the airline alliances you touched on the alliances quite interesting because I won't name the one we were talking to there are three big ones one world uh, Sky Team and Star Alliance, and one of them was talking about in terms of um, equity and inclusion stuff. It's very hard to develop coordination of policies mm. because, by definition, these airlines, these alliances, cover the globe, and there are very different views about gender rights, LGBTQ, um, and we'll come on to sort of rights of liberty, but that sort of while we're talking about, hey, we ha- we have to respect local cultures, but then this idea but we're of trying to build rights. global organizations yeah. with the universal rights, and you know, I, I mean, I I had a, a friend who was talking about living here in Singapore and running an organization and in a, a culture that is uh, male dominated, um, and women tend to be subservient culturally. Uh, irrespective of one's views on whether that's right or wrong. That's the culture here, and that's how uh, young women are taught to be. And she was running a global organization here in Singapore and asking her women to speak up in meetings and take leadership positions and be involved and go. And uh, that was, I mean, those two ideas were in direct contrast. Like, how do you... And so she had to help the women in her organization make the distinction that when you were at work, you were part of a global organization where women have yeah. equal standing and have every ability to be contributors in this organization and are expected to be, whereas when you go home, that cultural shift may occur and you may step back into a role that is perhaps comfortable or what you were taught to be or just acceptable in your home and both can be true and you may have to compartmentalize and switch between the two and that that kind of codes, the cultural code switching that happens across societies, uh, the drivers and how we might uh, lend some nuance to that, I think is really, really interesting. And this is uh, the, the video we shot in London where you and Lucy were talking about brain writing. This is why you don't like brainstorming, right? Particularly brain, yeah. in cultures where there's a, 
significant. Uh, when there's a higher care power dynamic, irrespective in, anything. in group okay. out group, as we talk about yeah. in some of our allyship work, when there's an in group and and those are expected, those folks in the in group have the space and the the kind of latitude to share ideas, and the out group is typically relegated to the corner, and and overlooked. Brainstorming is oriented to those who are going to be loudest and take their space. And if you're in a culture where that's not accepted from some groups, brainstorming leaves those folks out. So brain writing for the introverts, for the folks who maybe aren't the teacher's pet, for those who wouldn't speak up for fear of looking stupid because the boss is in the room, etc. Brain writing, and I, I think Lucy said this very, very well, it, uh, it's an equitable way to generate ideas. And the kicker is you typically get more ideas out of it than you would in the same time period if you had been brainstorming. So you get a larger crop of ideas from a larger representation of the room, and you can filter through and play off of each other in a way that includes everyone. So can can we bridge that in and out group to identity a little bit? So Singapore is one of the global sort of mashup centers of its population itself is a blend of uh, Malay, uh, Han Chinese predominantly, and uh, and Tamil Indian. Mm. And the so but then it's got this global culture wrapped around it as well. But one of the things so I'm about to head out for a drink with a dear dear friend of mine uh, who's a Singaporean who lives in Thailand. I just realized he's in town and we're gonna mm. we're gonna grab a drink in a minute. I know him as Edwin Tan. Mm. Know him as Edwin, but his name is actually Chin Yao Tan. Edwin mm. is his English was name. His anglified that, name. That you know, Singaporeans and many, many people in the f- in uh, Southeast Asia, they select an English name because it's acceptable. Some of the global corporations we work with, those who are based in Shanghai or they're based in Hong Kong, will have sort of their English mm. version of their name. I wonder when that will stop. I wonder when we have sort of a where because really it's just because you can't. Uh, you just can't bloody re- <laughs> say my name properly. Yeah. Um, where we'll make that effort to do that. But then it got me thinking about. So we've just we've just flown from Ho Chi Minh City to Singapore. Of course, Ho Chi Minh City is the renamed Saigon. Mm-hmm. Saigon is a Vietnamese name, but it was rebranded as Ho Chi Minh City in honor of the the the, the leader of of North Vietnam. <laughs> or as I said, as we're from that North <laughs> Korea, <laughs> so you, damn tired. Did, Why yeah. not to film a session in the presidential palace, former presidential palace <laughs> of <laughs> in in Ho Chi Minh City, <laughs> because you're so tired. Refer to North and South Korea instead of North and South Vietnam. But the um, so so they renamed the city after after Ho Chi Minh, and but then this is going on right now. So the G20 last week, uh, President Modi of India. All of the uh, agendas and the nameplates referred to him as the president of Bharat. Y- yeah. Can you just rebrand a country? I mean, yeah. Yeah, you can. Like I who mean, who says that? Well, if, if the parliament approves it, the country is renamed. So, so Bharat is the original Sanskrit name for the sort of subcontinent that is India. But it's, it's very uh, blurry around where the lines of, of uh, Bharat begin and end and mm. it's sort of presumed that it includes part of Indonesia actually so the Indonesians aren't happy about it but it, this is part of Modi's move to um, he, he, he says that India is a, is a colonized name um, but it's also a push to push the strength of the, the Hindu voice within India but these things they just have so much power it's interesting 
we're in lots of places where changing names and identity is is relevant. Uh, yeah. So um, I was looking for my phone because I was in the middle of a text. Com- oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's literally on a. It's on a tripod. It's generating propaganda on it a is. tripod on the other side of the room. That's why yep. I don't have my phone. Um, apparently, Pennsylvania rebranded as well. <laughs> <laughs> As what? I, I mean, they didn't change their name, but they've got a tagline that I didn't recognize. I Look, um, we're going to post the picture <laughs> of Pennsylvania's tagline that I can't recall and don't have my phone to check. Um, but <laughs> I d- it didn't feel like their real tagline, and it felt like a new one. And I didn't know states could just like have new taglines as oh. well. So w- there's, w- some, we're learning there's some really ridiculous ones. Like, isn't Idaho like land of the potatoes? potatoes. Like, I get it. Yeah. But it's still... It'd be basically, I mean, yeah, it could, it could be pre-vodka. That should be there. That should be their tech. I mean, you could apply that though for each U.S. state, like land of. Florida could just be land of. Oranges and, yeah. I'm going to be nice to Florida. Can we, can we stay one more second on. I thought you were going to go back to Vietnam Airlines and your meals. Just let me sleep. God damn it. No, that was you. They they woke you up very, very abruptly. Um, No, I want to go to the uh, This is America Speak English people for a second. Because I I, I mean, we have been surrounded by and and often are people speaking different languages, um, many of which are incredibly complex and also uh, surrounded by people speaking English particularly to us as a second language and doing it so, so very well. And I guarantee for all of the speak English, this is America people, if they spent time in another country not knowing the language and having to wrestle through trying to string a series of words together to get the thing that they need, if they did that for half a second, being able to appreciate that maybe, maybe somebody cobbles sentences together in a second language, which is complex, English being uh, one of the more complex languages, being able to do that is a feat in and of itself. I have the utmost respect and just admiration for anybody who can speak their language and then learn mine. And secondly, just to be able to empathize with someone who is... I mean, having sat in that, particularly the last couple of days of, of languages that aren't even romance languages, right? Like the, the, the yeah. language that I might speak as a second language or a third language, I have zero foundation for the languages spoken around me of late. And, ooh, it is, it's been uncomfortable in, like, it's been comfortably uncomfortable. I'm not foreign to that, but the idea that, I have zero command of the language. I've learned like a thank you and you're welcome in the the two languages I've been surrounded by. Not being able to step in somebody's shoes and understand that they might be completely lost in trying to capture another language and to give them a little bit of space just to not know how to say the thing and maybe take a second of solace as they revert to their own language to communicate with somebody that they have something in common with like ooh, it's i i have been thinking about that as i've been uncomfortable not knowing God, how to say things here big soft lefty yeah so i've totally changed my views on this oh if you'd if you had asked me 15 years ago about languages i would have said 
English-speaking nations, uh, which for the purpose of this conversation, I will include the United States, though it's, that's a dubious definition. Oh, here we go. The uh, should make every effort to learn foreign languages. And I do think that applies to sort of neighboring countries. So it is incumbent upon Brits to learn French and, and or Spanish or German. Mm -hmm. And we're terrible at it. But have you ever heard of Esperanto? Yeah. Yeah. So Esperanto was, I just looked it up. Esperanto was invented actually in the late 1800s by a uh, Polish oculist. And I don't know what oculist means, but I'm going to guess it means inventor of languages. <laughs> and... So it was designed to be that sort of universal language that everybody would learn and everybody would speak, right, right? So yeah. that we could communicate. Well, we've invented Esperanto, but we've invented it through global dominance. It just is English. And so forget native English speakers. If you see Germans doing business with Danes, they will speak English. If you see Danes doing business with Greeks, they will speak English. If you see Somalis doing business with Hong Kongers, they will speak English. So in a way, I don't think we should disincentivize it because we've actually found a language in which the world can reasonably well communicate. And also you were surrounded by it. So the ease of learning it, think about how much easier it is to learn French or Spanish in a French or Spanish speaking country. Well, it's just so ubiquitous. The, the combination of my people generously taking over a quarter of the world in order to help, big asterisks there, and then your people helping, you know, helping in your own way, you know, with cultural dominance has just made it the default. And in a way, I'm slightly envious, actually, of those countries where you have an infrastructure to learn English as a second language. And you're almost so fluent, but you have this whole other, other life. The Dutch, for instance. Most Dutch people speak much better. And I'm not joking about this. Many Dutch people in the Dutch cities speak better English than almost all British people. Probably have a wider breadth of vocabulary and understanding of grammar. You feel like you're walking around the studios of the BBC when you're walking around Amsterdam or the Hague. But then there's this whole other world that you don't have access to. There, are, Anyway, I think we've. it's become... I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's become the lingua franca <laughs> to <laughs> use another language those are, of the world. Those I are very, very cool. convenient spoils. Um, yeah, I, look, as, as articulated by the victor. But if, but if you suddenly, if you suddenly start to say to, um, look, it's it's the way that Indians communicate to each other, to each other within the country, because you've got so many languages in in a country like India. To some extent here in Singapore, it's the same. I do like the variations though. So we haven't heard a full-throated argument in Singlish yet, which is not to be missed. So Singlish <laughs> is the hybrid of various uh, Southeast Asian languages, predominantly Cantonese and English. And it is, to watch Singaporeans argue, is a joy to behold. Of, uh, but, uh, but I think that's great. I think we'll get variations of it. I don't know. Yeah, I've probably just justified. But it just it. it yeah, I'm that, that, yeah, that's I'm the <laughs> argument you're going to make. It just <laughs> is. You heard it here, folks. English should be the global well, a little language bit. So, because it just is. So it's a, it, it's a little bit like, uh, hey, some we talked about this today. Some countries drive on the right and some countries drive on the left. And it doesn't make sense that it would, it would be more efficient if we had all selected to drive on one side of the road or the other. But actually, the the changing costs. It would be more efficient for every future generation if we all learned Esperanto. Yeah. And it'd be 
it would be more equal. Yeah. So, but, I, we, I, but the, we've already got this body of. But the only problem is that's not the argument I made, oh. and and that's not the argument that gets made. The argument I made is it, it would be empathetic if we took a second when we're upset with somebody not speaking English to understand how daunting it must be to be in a place where you don't have a command of the language and still have to or expected to navigate. And that's what I hear when it's the this is America speak English. It's zero, zero. Nobody says, hey, I speak four languages and you're in a country that is predominantly English. And I think you should have taken a little bit of time to learn a couple of phrases to be able to communicate appropriately. Oh, yeah. That's never what's And if said. you live in a country, yeah. if you li- absolutely learn the language. Like sure. It's always, it's always the undereducated, uh, xenophobic... I'm here, therefore you ought to learn the thing because it's easiest for me. It's always a, it's a selfish orientation rather than a practical application, which is what you've said, right? Like that, their English well, is I a think language yeah, that yeah, has yeah. been commanded and we, widely. You're sort of recognizing that there is there is also a class of people that are predominantly running the world that went to very good universities in whichever country they came from. And they are frankly filling the, the lounges of airports mm-hmm. and they're doing that global business. And yeah, if you go into... If you go into smaller towns and villages in any country, they they won't be speaking that. You you barely speak the the your first language well. Yeah, I mean, I take this I take shit from Brits, and when I'm in the U.S. and I I say the word elevator, or I say I'm trying to think of other Americanisms that I use, I'm like trunk. Yeah, I yeah. say trunk, or I say hood instead of boot, and mm-hmm. uh, sorry, I say trunk instead of boot, and I say hood instead of bonnet, but. Because that's right. And but so yeah. other Brits are like, why do you say it like that? Well, because if, if you're in France or Spain, you would speak French or Spanish. And I'm in the United States, and these are the words that, that they use. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think there's a difference between being respectful versus, yeah. I, yeah. It is. It is someone who has very little respect scolding someone else about not being respectful. It's the irony and the hypocrisy there. But I do think that the talking loudly is slightly different. Is the Americans? No, I would oh. say so. So Brits and Americans on this were slightly different. So Brits start quietly mm. in dealing with people who don't speak English as first language, mm-hmm. and then we just raise our voices <laughs> when we're not being understood. You lot, you just come in yelling like you're just like no matter of, what language out of the speaking, gate. That's just like American. Just it is like shock and awe from a cultural experience. Yeah. Yeah, my knob on this uh, microphone is like three. Three dials lower than yours, and yeah. we're still equal volume. I feel like the slight difference is that Brits overseas get there and they go, where can I find a British pub and get overcooked sausages and beans for breakfast? <laughs> which really is do. which yeah. is sort of its own form of despicable. Like, what's the point of traveling? I feel Americans get there and in absolute shock that it's Vietnam not exactly. is not a fucking mall in Dallas. Like, what is wrong with this place? We're just like, so as ever, Big Brother sort of just takes us up a notch. Or younger, bigger brother. I don't know how to describe it. Let's move on. Shall we? So while we're in Ho Chi Minh City, we visited the uh, Museum of Remnants. Do you want to describe that? Yeah, the the War Remnant Museum. Basically, all the shit the Americans left in in Vietnam. The the tanks, the anti-aircraft weapons, uh, the... Uh, it it was in a former prison um was was part of the the space that we walked through uh, it was just a it was a wild experience and they had artifacts from uh, not just military gear but uh, news clippings etc all of those things from the war and 
Go ahead and crack your beer, man. Can I crack my beer, too? Yeah. Brought to you by Tiger, Tiger Beer. <laughs> Proudly brewed in Singapore. Yeah, there we go. But, yeah, it, it was heavy. Um, and they had a lot of news clippings of all of the countries across the world who were opposed to the Vietnam War and the U.S. intervention there. And it, 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 all of the things, particularly from as a perspective exercise, um, I thought that was... So, so reconciliation between Vietnam and the United States has come through mutual apologies in both directions. Yeah. You did a piece about the anatomy of an apology that I thought was really interesting. And can that be our tool of the week? Yeah, I think so. Tool, so tools so for talk tools. Us, talk us through what is a weak apology and what is a strong apology. So, uh, yeah, the, the background here is we often think that all apologies are created equal and, and they're not. One can apologize well, one can apologize poorly, and particularly in a world that feels uh, just inundated with conflict, how to apologize might be a skill worth like sitting with for a second. So uh, a weak apology would be, um, hey, I screwed up, I'm sorry, but you know, I had really good intentions in mind, and uh, you shouldn't be upset with me. Um, so, so what's the breakdown of that line? That but very simply, right? It's the um, I screwed up. That's good. Owning that, I'm sorry. It's good. Just said I'm sorry. We'll talk about sorry versus apologize in a second. And then the last piece is, but I was well intentioned. And hey, I want you to know that like I had your best interests or I had good in mind. And and that's the order. I screwed up. I'm sorry, but I was well intentioned. That's a weak apology. It it. You might have impact with the acknowledging that one screwed up or one's fault and saying you're sorry, but it's negated or at least softened by the but I was well-intentioned. And a strong apology would take the same phrases or the same, yeah, um, yeah the same phrases and rearrange those. Just reorder them. Ju it's same words, different order, okay. makes for a stronger apology. So consider, hey, I... I was really well-intentioned in doing that thing, but I screwed up, and I'm sorry. Same three phrases. Acknowledging fault, apologizing, or saying I'm sorry, and maybe articulating that one had good interests or good but intent But if you do that, mind. almost putting it at the beginning so that you're landing... It, the it land on the I am sorry for causing harm. And... Leading with, hey, I was well-intentioned, but I want to acknowledge that I caused harm despite that good intent, I'm sorry, is a stronger way to craft the acknowledgement of harm and then ask for forgiveness as a function of that. And, and so, again, same phrasing, different order. And uh, that, that it doesn't always solve the problem, and not every apology is accepted. But if we're trying to truly get to a resolution or work through a conflict, at least having the, the right foundation of how we orient to apology. Um, it's one of the tools that will further to the end of resolution. I think it's really interesting. I, I think same words, different order, strong versus weak apology. Um, do we want to talk rights and responsibilities for a second? Yeah, maybe we get, it's a two-tool week. Two tools from two tools. Um, the... So we, we recorded a piece today about rights and responsibilities. This is uh, an exercise we put teams and organizations through to 
uh, to measure whether we um, are consciously creating almost like the constitution mm -hmm. of the group. And the argument is there are always rights and responsibilities, but you either consciously create them or they're unconsciously created. And if they're unconscious, they can create for sort of misunderstanding and confusion. But oftentimes when we talk about sort of rights and responsibilities, we think through, you know, um, headline constitutions, that of the United States or other democracies. And there's sort of a presumption about good or bad. And, and we just felt that Singapore was a very interesting example about how different entities that seem similar on the outside can mm. have very different rights and responsibilities. Yeah. So Singapore is a representative democracy. It has a parliament and it also has a el directly elected president. It is ranking in the world. Uh, it's always in the top five around government accountability, around uh, transparency in government, absence of corruption, and uh, respect for, for law. It also has one of the lowest crime rates in the world. It is very safe to walk here at night, yeah. in the middle of the night. And we've, we've talked in the past about um, women's experience with safety and, and men's perception right. of um, what they can and what men can do that women feel they can't. Almost all of those things are equalized in Singaporean society. A woman can probably go for a run at three o'clock in the morning and feel safe in this, in this city state. But there is a deep restriction on freedom of speech. And we were filming today from Speaker's Corner in <coughs> downtown Singapore, which it was designed in 2000 as being the place you actually do have free speech. Mm -hmm. But they even struggled with that. And in 2008 <laughs> or nine, they introduced the rule, you actually had to file your protest yeah. application with the police. There's a police station at that site and they installed cameras <laughs> overlooking the sign that says it's Speaker's Corner. But one of the rules they have here is that you cannot... Um, you don't have the right to free speech about religious division. Yeah. It's kind of interesting as you talk about giving um, protection to minority groups. The argued purpose of this law is that Singapore is a very diverse society and they are, by trying to avoid incitement of what is essentially ethnic, religious, or racial hatred, and they're holding together... Yeah this construct that is the city-state of Singapore across its ethnic and religious groups. And they're doing so by restricting freedom of speech. So the observation to me was just kind of interesting in that there isn't a fixed way of doing this. There are trade-offs between rights. And you were talking about shadow benefits or something. We were roaming around the, the things that you benefit from in organizations that you don't see that are some of the unwritten rules. Yeah, it was, uh, it was brilliantly phrased when we talked about it. <laughs> you can't remember. Three hours ago. It'll come back to you. <laughs> uh, but no, the, the idea, um, yeah, the, the hidden, hidden benefits, um, those pieces, I think we lose because we have acclimated to a culture, right? Um, not knowing uh, hidden trade-offs. That was the phrase. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Hidden trade-offs. Uh, in America, we have the, uh, <laughs> now back up, I think I phrased it as, this is why we don't have nice things, yes. versus this is why we do have nice things. And what I find is that's not always articulated. I took a photo of a picture here in Singapore that basically said, uh, one moment of anger can turn into a lifetime of shame. And it was a uh, sign saying that there is a penalty for causing hurt 
So very loosely phrased. How might one cause hurt? Open to interpretation, but uh, loosely phrased. Um, the the penalty for causing hurt is up to two years in prison and or five thousand dollar fine. And it it was in the context of, and the graphic was basically somebody on top of somebody else beating the hell out of them. <laughs> and so it was an it was a no fighting. Uh, but there were a couple other similar signs of you know somebody with a bottle in their hand, and it was. Uh, very much saying don't get in fights or cause hurt and you can drink wherever you want in the city but the expect to so you have a right to have an open bottle across yeah. town a lot of states in the united states don't, don't allow that yeah. um, but the responsibility is not to get in altercations as a function of that so yeah maybe get piss trunk hammered in the <laughs> middle of your city uh, but don't get in a fight because there is a rule and a regulation that precludes one from fighting so you can do the thing that in any state across the United States <laughs> might lead to quite a bit of drunkness disorderliness and bar brawls as a function of that so can can we share for a second so we arrived here this morning <laughs> and you I don't know whether it's conscious or subconscious the first thing you did when we arrived, was offer me gum, and gum is not is is not allowed in Singapore. Hey, you can't buy gum in you Singapore. You can't buy gum in Singapore. Gum is not allowed in Singapore. But if you but if you can't buy gum, you don't step in gum. And yeah. So, so that's that's yeah, how they manage the it. So so that was like your, I guess it was subconscious act of rebellion, and then but by the time you got acclimatized to some of these rules here today, you accidentally dropped some litter. I've never seen you look so petrified. You were looking around for security cameras of <laughs> whether you were going to go immediately to jail for dropping litter. <laughs> I like dropped to the floor and you picked this I up like a, up and I your scrum half in a rugby scrum. I, 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 I apologize to the sidewalk and the air around me. I just said, I'm sorry. And I thought the authorities were going to come ball me up. Don't, so. don't lock me up. Gulliver didn't mean to litter. Gulliver didn't mean to litter. <laughs> Are we just, am I Gulliver now? Are we just calling me Gulliver? Gulliver, is, Gulliver is a whole thing. All right, let's yell at clouds for like a minute, yeah. I, literally 60 seconds, and then uh, let's tell the folks where we're going to be. So. Uh, all right, yell at clouds. Let's yell at Meta. This oh, is let's yell at Meta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, were, uh, we were maybe kind of sort of filming outside on a public sidewalk by Meta's headquarters, and uh, not very discreetly, uh, the PR woman and some other security guard came out and were very casually having a smoke while they didn't observe what we were doing on the public sidewalk across the street. And uh, for one, not very slick, y'all. We clocked you like as soon as you walked out of the door. I just I just want that to be known that that was ridiculous. And then as you radioed to the security guard as we walked back through the courtyard um, that they didn't even describe the right color of shirt but heard it on the radio uh, that we were walking back through. That wasn't particularly discreet either. And uh, yeah. Uh, we had finished filming. So. so, Meta, if you have discreet security comms, turn down your radios as we're walking by. <laughs> All right. Where are people going to catch us next if we owe them money? Uh, if they, if we owe them money, um, oh, sorry. Yes. we'll be in Costa Rica. If they owe us money, come see us in Indianapolis, where we'll actually be. Uh, so, from Formula One in Singapore to uh, Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway, uh, we'll be in Indy. Uh, tomorrow? Two days from now? Two days from now. <laughs> Not next week. And then uh, I'll be in D.C. If anybody's trying to catch me there. Where are you going? I'm going where you're going. I carry your bags. Oh, well, I'm enough. not going to D.C. Yeah. I'm going home. Touche. Um, so let's end on this. We were with a client today as we were filming. She showed up to say hi. And her final comment was, 
So you guys just Google it and then talk to camera then. Yep. I'm Gulliver. And I'm... <laughs> Wait, does that make me a Lilliputian? Uh, and this is Envoy Recorded Radio. See you next week. Maybe. Maybe.